Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning, the show that is all about shining a big old spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And like we do each and every show, we like to start things off by giving you the very best in entertainment news. And, uh, you know, if you're a a fan of Frozen from a few years back, a little film you may have heard of. As I'm pretty sure every girl between the ages of 5 and 10 is. Because this is the film that, the first one that gave you, wait a minute, what, two princesses? Are you kidding me? For the price of one? We're being spoiled here, Cole. It also gave us, in my opinion, as I mentioned in our musicals episode, one of the best songs from the Disney canon. Let it go? No, you let it go. Oh. I'm talking about I Want to Build a Snowman. (laughs) Oh. Of course let it go. Idina Menzel, um, big Broadway show-stopping number in the middle of this Disney animated cartoon. I Uh, loved it. I believe you mean Dizel or Dizel or what was it? Adazim. A gazelle. No, it was (laughs) Giselle Gazim, something like that. John Travolta aside. Yes. Well, speaking of John Travolta, you can go online and John Travoltify your name. Oh, boy. Just plug in your name and you'll get the John Travolta version of it. He got too much flack for that, I think. Why wasn't that our big news? I guess our big news, though, is that there's a new trailer for the second Frozen. Full-length trailer. Not just the teaser where she's, like, practicing her superpowers on the waves coming in? Right. In this one, they basically, like, the Rock King says something to the, not, we're not talking about Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but uh, they say something to the effect of, at first we thought we needed to limit her powers, but now we don't know if her powers will be enough. <gasps> so it looks like she's she's saving the world or at least the Nordic area. Was yeah. there music? Um, nothing in the way of a new song, Okay, but, uh, you know, plenty of the original score that's back for more. Sure. But there's also another trailer for another sequel, and this sequel, it was very long in the making, not necessarily because the filmmakers, uh, you know, couldn't come up with an idea, but because Stephen King took forever to write a sequel to the original Shining, and it is a trailer for Dr. Sleep starring Ewan McGregor as grown-up little Danny boy, Red Rum, who has the Shining in question, and it's also got Rebecca Ferguson, which I'm interested to see, but it's interesting because they, they basically, you would think that after all this time, they might want to distance themselves from the Stanley Kubrick one and try to do something a little bit on their own. Especially because it's been 40 years. Like, we can understand right. that this can be a new movie. But they show so much of the original film in the trailer. It's like a good quarter of the trailer. They're just showing clips from the original. It could be that. It's just doing what a trailer does and trying to get your excitement up for this movie that maybe some people didn't know was coming. So they got to remind you, oh, this is connected to The Shining. When we actually get into the movie, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. Hopefully it'll be its own thing. Maybe you're right. Maybe because it doesn't have a title like Shining 2 and instead it's Dr. Sleep, people are like, wait a minute, is this another Marvel movie? Unless you do what the books do and make Stephen King's name bigger than the name on the actual I'm book. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Then we'll get the picture. 
Now, I'm pretty sure Stephen King has never, although he has had many of his books made into films and television shows, I'm pretty sure he's never, oh, I take that back. He actually has had one of his books turned into a play. Ah. But why are why are we talking about plays, Cole? Last weekend was the Tony Awards. It's the Oscars for the stage and a key component of the EGOT, which is the the big the bigger big trophy when you get all the small trophies, you put them all in the EGOT gauntlet and then you uh can snap the world at your whim. There's a new campaign called Got EGOT. There you go. Yeah. It's it's when it's tough to do. It's the yeah. So it's the Oscars for the stage, and there were a lot of musical numbers and the Tony Awards themselves. While not a lot of people watched them, they did try. They got James Corden to host, and um, I enjoyed his big ten minute musical number to Whoa. start the whole thing. I'm not going to play ten minutes right now, but uh, this is a bit of what it sounded like. of thrones and fleabag and handmaid's tale and killing eve and castle rock and walking dead and dead to me and stranger things and better things and anything that ends with things orange is the new black mirror marvel's marvelous mrs mazel barry basket blackish billies bojack ozark dark and narcos brick and morty grace and frankie and the late late show Weeknights at 12.30, right here on CBS, America's most watched network. Gotta love James Corden, huh? What am I doing? What am I saying? I think he may be onto something there. Any show that ends with things is worth your time. (laughs) Making fun of television when the whole performance is on television, he kind of realized was maybe not a great idea in the middle of this, you know, obviously pre-written song but the whole thing was fantastic and kind of gets you in the mood for all of these musicals we've mentioned the beetlejuice musical earlier on this program yes it was nominated for eight tonys what it won zero yeah you know that play that i mentioned that was based on a stephen king book do you know what it is cole i was think i was racking my brain while you were talking i don't think i do So semi-recently, I think in the last couple of years, in New York, they had a version of Misery starring Laurie Metcalf. That makes sense. From Roseanne and from the Toy Story films, as well as Bruce Willis in the the role of Paul Sheldon. Interesting. Yeah. I would love to have seen that. That that extends the long tradition of kind of taking movies and moving them to the play. Movies also steal from the play as well and turn them into movies. For example, Network, uh, the 70s movie, was turned into a stage production. This year it was nominated for a couple Tonys, including Bryan Cranston of your favorite Breaking Bad fame was nominated for Best Actor. And one leading actor in a play, Bryan Cranston for Howard Beale in Network. While we're at it, shout out to The Ferryman, which won Best Play. 
Hadestown took home Best Musical, and especially Ali Stroker, uh, who was the Best Featured Actress in a Musical. It was in the revival of Oklahoma, and she did it all from a wheelchair. She's the first actress to be nominated and win with that kind of physical disability. So kudos again to Ali Stroker and all the winners at the Tonys last week. Now, if you don't see plays and if you don't watch TV, but you do watch movies... You might be interested in going to see a little film called Men in Black International this weekend. And I really hope you do because Cole and I put it in our top 10 of the uh, summer movie blockbusters. And I don't think it's going to do that well financially, which is a shame because it's getting really bad reviews. I don't see why those bad reviews are justified. I think it's a totally serviceable sequel. I think I enjoyed it better than Men in Black 2, which may not be saying a whole lot. What about Men in Black 3? I, I enjoyed Men in Black 3 a little better and for three reasons. Tommy Lee Jones. Ah. This film does not include either Tommy Lee Jones or Will Smith. It was Busy getting painted blue. And I think that Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith made a great pairing. Tommy Lee Jones is hilarious in those films. You know, kind of that deadpan, totally serious humor, um, which is not as much present here. You still have a pretty good pairing in Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth. There is some humor in the form of a cute little creature that sits on Tessa Thompson's shoulder throughout the movie, voiced by Kumail Nanjiani, a stand-up comedian whom I'm sure you've seen pretty much anywhere these days. And Most recently, he was in the first episode of The Twilight Zone on CBS All Access. That is true. So it's a pretty basic plot. The men in black, or this, in this case, the people in black, are trying to uh, get this weapon that, if it's in the wrong hands, could destroy entire universes. So pretty much the same as all of them. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But it's got a bunch of fun gadgets, and I really thought the the aliens that they came up with in this movie were really creative and clever. And When we first saw the trailer, Jeff, you were kind of concerned that it was going to be too much action, not enough comedy. How was that mix for you? There was plenty of action, but I, I will say it was more of a comedy than I thought it was going to be. I noticed that the director had directed The Fate of the Furious, so I thought it was just going to be a straight action, but... There's a lot of humor to be found here. And, you know, if you can wait until the dollar theater, well, don't do that because we need to beef up the numbers for this movie. It's but, not going to uh, climb to the top of the box office one dollar at a I time, wouldn't, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go out and spend $14 on this film. But it's really – I don't get all the bad reviews this movie's getting. It's just normal fun. Yeah. It's normal for, summer fun. It's forgettable fun. You know – Sometimes you got to weigh, though, how much you're willing to spend because we have so much on Netflix nowadays mm-hmm. as well. There are two big comedies hitting Netflix this weekend, and I want to talk about both of them. One of them is your normal Adam Sandler fare that we seem to be getting <laughs> pretty often on Netflix nowadays yep. where he goes to places abroad and brings his friends with him. This time, not the normal cast of characters, though. Yeah, his his friends aren't really there with him. But there is one friend that is co-starring with him. He's been with Jennifer Aniston of Friends before. And this is he and Jennifer Aniston finally taking their honeymoon 15 years after they got married uh, because, you know, life got 
in the way. Well, he's a cop and he's busy solving all these crimes. Right? Yeah. Murder mystery is the story of them getting kind of framed for this murder abroad and they have to find the, the killer. Okay. This sounds, I mean, the title, I think, gives it away right there. Murder mystery. It is mystery. a murder mystery. Okay. But the funnier and more romantic rom-com to hit your Netflix queue this weekend is Always Be My Maybe. This is starring Ali Wong and Randall Park. And it is it is bringing us back to that original golden age of the rom-com. They, they are both big fans of rom-coms. You can watch a lot of videos online of them just, like, gushing about their favorite rom-coms through the years oh. or, like, matching the quote to the rom-com. They're huge fans of the genre, and they've been trying to get this film made for a long time. They are both credited as producers on the film. Okay. They are both writers on the film. They've been working on this project for quite some time. They finally kind Kind of have the clout and Netflix kind of finally gave them the platform to make it. And I'm so glad they did. It's just a classic rom-com. There's a big speech at the end. It's these two people that were destined to be together because they were next door neighbors as kids. But then life gets in the way. They come together later on after she has a big breakup with her billionaire boyfriend. Of and, course. And Randall Park's just this low down guy in San Francisco that's not going places and and she and he come together and, and they have the big rom-com moments. The highlight of this movie, though, oh. sure, it's the romance and sure, it's the comedy, but it's actually Keanu Reeves. Yes. Oh, this is so exciting. There's been a lot of buzz around this movie. I seem to be reading about it everywhere. It's getting great reviews. So uh, I may have to re-sign up for Netflix just so I can watch this movie. I think it's worth it. Wow. Well, speaking of Netflix and TV, I wonder if uh, people are still going to be talking about Won't You Be My Maybe or Always Be My Maybe. Always you know, be my baby. 10, 15, 20 years from now. Is it going to hold up? Right. And in fact, that is going to be the main topic of our discussion on the show here today. Does old TV shows or do old TV shows hold up after all these years? More importantly, when you stack them up against modern TV shows, how do they hold up then? Huh? Well, we'll answer that question when we return. In ways that they can't when you stare at a screen. It isn't the Broadway song grand panacea, but it'll remind you it's thrilling to be alive. We come back to screen cleaning with what sounds like a theme song of some kind, but I'm certainly not familiar with it. It's certainly from the 60s. You can tell that. It is from the TV show The Time Tunnel, an old TV show I think that might hold up. Okay, interesting, because today on the program we're going to be talking about old TV shows that may or may not hold up. We've done a show like this in the past, but we're going to change things up a little bit, whereas before we just decided whether or not it held up over time, meaning is it something that people are still going to watch all these years later? Now we are taking an old TV show and comparing it to a newer TV show with a similar theme or premise and uh, seeing which one is better. 
ooh, putting them head to head. Just like every great old television show, they gave you part one in season one and part two in season two. This yes. is our sequel. This is our second half of the two-parter. Do old TV shows hold up? So last time we covered genres like the sitcom and the cop show and spinoffs. We decided to go in a little bit of a different direction for this round. Isn't that right, Cole? Yeah, we have different genres this time, but like Jeff said, we're going to compare them. Not so much remakes, but definitely spiritual remakes of an old TV show that we see similar themes showing up in new shows. Now, I took an older show from the early 90s called Erie, Indiana. And all I could think of when I heard the title was Gary Indiana, Gary Indiana, Gary. How did That's you, what you I know thought. me so well, Cole? I was gonna, I was gonna insert Erie Indiana into that, but just as well, man. Now this is a show that, as I said, uh, premiered in the early 1990s. Only lasted, I believe, one season, and it uh, is very quirky. It's a hmm. now this is. We call this horror, but it's more of a mysterious show than it is like outright horror, but it's appropriate for kids. So we're going to talk about it on the show. And it involves this kid who's from New Jersey. He's moved to, you guessed it, Erie, Indiana, and he's starting to document all these bizarre, weird things that are going on. So I guess today we could have compared this to uh, Wayward, not Wayward Pines, but uh, Gravity Falls, but we won't. We'll tell you what the show is that we're going to be comparing it to here in just a minute. And a group of kids with supernatural occurrences in a small made-up town in Indiana? I wonder. Yes. Now, um... The reason I'm sold on this show is because of who directed a handful of the episodes and who is their creative consultant. It's a man by the name of Joe Dante. Are you familiar with Joe Dante, Cole? I certainly am a famous horror director. Yes, he did Gremlins. He did one of the Piranha movies. He did one of my favorite movies that we love to watch every Halloween, The Burbs. So he's known for like this really dark humor, which is served well in Erie, Indiana. It's very kid-friendly. Let me just tell you the premise of the pilot episode okay. of Erie, Indiana. Get me hooked. So (laughs) there is this woman who looks like she's right out of the 60s that comes knocking on his door with her two twin sons that also look like they're from a different era. And they're trying to sell them this Tupperware that supposedly anything you put in it remains fresh for years and years and years. But you have to keep the lid sealed on tight. And he defeated dis- after midnight. Right. He discovers over the course of the episode that uh, these twin boys have actually not aged since high school. And so they've been stuck like this for 30 plus years because every night at bedtime, their mother puts them in these giant Tupperware containers. <gasps> to and keep them fresh. she's doing the same to herself, which is why she has aged so well. And uh, I t- it's such a ridiculous concept. And just to see these gigantic Tupperwares where people sleep in them, it had me hooked from the first episode. Now, I will, to be fair, I only did watch the pilot episode, which is much 
much less than I can say about the other show that I want to compare it to, which is <laughs> Stranger Things. Of course, that's the modern day kid horror that goes on. Right, and we're getting excited because season three is coming out uh, July fourth. Right. And there's a lot of nostalgia there because it's compared to The Goonies, another 80s classic. This show takes place in the 80s. And, and E.T. and every other 80s movie with a bunch of kids. Right. And season two had Sean Astin from The Goonies in it. And in this uh, season, we're going to have Carrie Elwes from Princess Bride, another 80s favorite of mine. But the reason we're comparing these two is because they're kind of horror or mysterious themes going on that involve kids. Now, this show, I should say, is not as kid-friendly as Erie, Indiana. And I will say it's probably a little overhyped. A lot of people compare it to The Goonies. I would not put it on the same level of The Goonies as far as quality. Just because The Goonies had this ability to have this back-and-forth banter that seemed so natural, and the actors that they chose were just so amazing. This, don't get me wrong, Stranger Things is a very enjoyable TV series. The fact that my parents watch it and are hooked on it must be saying something, right? It's very appealing, very accessible to so many different age groups. It is a lot of fun, and it's all about nostalgia. It's not a scary show, uh, even though it is kind of technically a horror, but it's it's something that everybody can enjoy. People that are not horror fans are going to love this show, um, and I know of a lot of people that stay away from this show because they don't like horror, but it's not as scary as you might think. Um, one other thing I will say, though, that I think ultimately makes this beat – or win out over That's Erie, what Indiana, I was for, Jeff. is, and again, I, I mentioned the sample size is a little different. However, this is event television at its best. This is a show that gets people excited, that gets people talking, that gets people to sign up for Netflix or cancel it once the show is over and then re-sign up just so that they can watch this show. And I am a huge fan of event television. And so in the end, I'm, I'm going to say that maybe Erie, Erie, Indiana does not hold up against Stranger Things. So the modern TV show wins out. Absolutely. A close cousin to horror is sci-fi, and there have been plenty of sci-fi television shows throughout the years. I want to tackle an older sci-fi show that we came into the theme song to, The Time Tunnel. Yeah, I want to hear more about 1967. this show. Picture a secret government facility out in the middle of the desert where there are millions of people employed and it's sucking up a lot of the budget. And so they send down a senator to tell them to quit it and to make some budgetary cuts. Huh. Interesting. So did you – I mean obviously you didn't grow up with this show, but how did you I come across it? I kind of did. Really? I watch what? a lot of old sci-fi and the time tunnel has a very similar feel in the way it's shot and, and kind of the, the budget and, and how they you know, show – science fiction as a Star Trek or as a Doctor Who that was also going on here in the 60s and 70s. And so it's got that camp to it. There's a lot of very close one shots of people's faces that are very, very 60s acting expressive. Um, (laughs) But it's a really interesting concept. And in their very first episode, they time travel to kind of prove that it's worth it back to the Titanic. And these guys have just no regard for the space time continuum. The first thing 
thing out of mm. his mouth was, wait, I'm a time traveler. I'm a time traveler. No, the Titanic's can't. about to sink. You can't do that. That's what we've learned, but they didn't care. The time, the time tunnel was one of our first TV shows doing this, and so that book on how to do time travel hadn't been written yet. So how long did this show last? A couple seasons. Okay. Um, it had from 67 to 68. The interesting thing I thought about when I was watching this show is that we are currently closer in time today to the airing of the original time tunnel than the time tunnel people were to the Titanic. When they traveled way back in time to the Titanic, they were traveling further back in time than if you and I today time traveled back to the day that this first aired on television. Wow. Okay. So it's been a while. Television and science fiction has been around for a while. Another fun tidbit when you watch the credits, you'll see that that theme song that I played earlier Mm -hmm. is credited to a a little-known guy named Johnny Williams, who would Mm. eventually grow up to give us main themes as John Williams, the man in composing. Uh, Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, my goodness. I compared the time tunnel. I could have compared it to plenty of science fiction shows in my day. It has a similar premise as Sliders, where these two time travelers are kind of lost and trying to find their way back. It has a similar premise to Stargate, where it's this giant gate opening that sends you through a wormhole and and all the people back at the lab kind of keep track of it. But I wanted to bring it to a truly modern show, one that just aired a couple years ago, and that's Timeless, which Mm. also spends its first episode going back into time to around the same era and they are traveling and and they're trying to tackle this one guy that's trying to change a bunch of things in the past okay so how does it hold up against the time tunnel because i understand they both didn't last all that long right timeless also was only two seasons long but i like timeless more and it's it's more a testament to the era of television we're in now where the time tunnel was just these individual episodes and they went on a new adventure every week and they ended each week by heading off to the new time that they were sent to but in timeless there's this strong arc that goes through each season. Each mission has a purpose that kind of ties into the other ones. It gets you hooked. It really, in a post-lost world, a lot of television tried to create some tension by by having a season arc. And Timeless does that very well. It got me hooked. And, I mean, time travel in general is enough to get me hooked. Oh, but yeah. I like that overarching thing. And for that reason, Timeless, I think, is better. Okay, so you prefer Timeless... Now, but here's my big question. Will the name of that show end up being very aptly named? Because 20, 30 years from now, do you think this is is a show that people could revisit and still enjoy? I hope so. It might just fall by the wayside as another one of those shows that didn't get to really fulfill what it promised us. Again, Lost did this first, and and they did it the worst, where they set up kind of too much and then couldn't catch up. Timeless was unfortunately canceled before we really got a lot of the answers that they set up in seasons one and half of two. Okay, so that's sci-fi and horror, and it seems like in both cases the newer show com- it is hold up, holds up better than the older show, right? So now let's move on to a genre of television that seems to have been done to death. But one idea that I'm not familiar with, uh, or one concept that I hadn't seen before this example I'm about to give you, 
came in the 80s with an actor by the name of Neil Patrick Harris. Television Zone of How I Met Your Mother and some other show, right? Named Doogie Howser, M.D.? Right. Yeah. The cool thing about this show, uh, first of all, you've probably heard the concept. He is a young doctor, in fact, a 16-year-old doctor, and Neil Patrick Harris was 16 when this show aired. So it was great to see Neil Patrick Harris as a 16-year-old. In an era of television where 35-year-olds were playing teenagers, this is refreshing. Right. And let's get some things out of the way first off. Okay, let me give you the plot. So in the course of the pilot episode, Doogie Howser, M.D., is uh, celebrating his 16th birthday, trying to get his driver's license. He's trying to get his very first kiss ever, and he's trying to save the life of a patient. So it's a very big day for him, right? Mm -hmm. This is a very cute show because not only do you have this ridiculous premise of a 16-year-old doctor, which when you hear about some of the true stories that came out after this show. It doesn't seem as ridiculous. There have been some young doctors, and there may be in the future, too. Um, But he's spitting out all these medical terms that you wouldn't nearly hear come from a 16-year-old, while also dealing with very real issues to a 16-year-old, like, Dad, can I borrow your car? And, oh, I've, I've got to get my first kiss, you know, at this dance. So... It's a very cute show. I love the fact that it's only a 30-minute sitcom, basically. Well, it's kind of a dramedy, really, but 30 minutes. That is a good length for a show with such a high concept. Now, the modern show that I want to compare this to is a show on ABC that is still airing called The Good Doctor. The Good Doctor starring... Uh, Freddie Highmore, who just got finished doing the Bates Motel TV series. Baby-faced Freddie Highmore. He looks young, too. Right, right. So he's not 16. I mean, in real life right now, he's 27. But he is this young actor that, uh, you know, they they continue this premise of a young... uh, Sorry, not a young actor, but a young doctor. And uh, they're continuing this idea of a young doctor. And and how would would that ruffle other people's feathers... But they added an extra element to it. Not only is he a young doctor, but he's a young doctor with autism. Hmm. So that obviously ups the dramatic stakes. And in this pilot episode, you have Richard Schiff, who you will know, Cole, from the West Wing. Of course. Fighting. Everyone's been in the West Wing. Yeah, fighting to justify his choice of hiring Freddie Highmore as this new doctor with autism. Um. The acting is very good, I will say that, both from Freddie Highmore and from Richard Schiff. However, it is way too long. I mean, this is a hospital procedural, so it's going to be an hour long and completely unrealistic, not in the fact that you have this young doctor with autism, but you have these super young, hot other doctors that are all sleeping with each other and... uh, to me, that's more silly than anything else in this pilot episode. You obviously have not watched Grey's Anatomy and it's no, 27 that's... seasons or whatever they're on right now. Right. I think they're approaching that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm actually going to say 
that when you put these two shows head to head, Doogie Howser MD holds up better than The Good Doctor. And I would actually go back and watch Doogie Howser before I would watch another episode of The Good Doctor. Interesting, Jeff. The next very specific genre that we want to tackle is within the crime genre. Just like there's a hundred hospital procedurals out there, there's a hundred just solve the crime procedurals. But I want to get more specific than that. Okay. Because in the 80s, there was a TV show about this this crime writer that ended up starting solving real-world crimes despite being a famous author herself, starring Angela Lansbury. It was Murder, She Wrote. Yes! And I loved this television show (laughs) growing up. Seeing Angela Lansbury, just a little dainty old, you know, unassuming kind of lady, come into, like, the throes of these new towns and, and solve whatever crime is there, while still kind of being famous wherever she goes. She is, like, the preeminent. This is like James Patterson going out and just solving crimes in his free time. And it's very, very entertaining. And her kind of cast of characters that goes along... I think it's very interesting in a Stephen King kind of way that she's just from this little town in Maine and yeah. she goes out. But it's not a lot of crime specifically happening there in her hometown. She like travels abroad and just like on a book tour signing will uh, see a crime happen and then go solve it. You know, it seems like such a silly concept. But if you think about oh, it's perfectly what, silly. Yeah. If you think about what it takes to be a good author. You have to be extremely observant because you are describing everything that your main character is seeing, everything they're hearing, all the senses that they're experiencing. So, I mean, you're very observant to the world around you because you're constantly storing up all this data and information that you can use as material in your books. It was such a good concept and such a good specific concept that worked that in 2009 they brought it back, this time with a show called called Castle, starring Nathan Fillion, yes. where he is an author that's famous for writing crime stories that ends up shadowing a local New York uh, police detective around and starts helping that department solve crimes in a very <laughs> similar way that Jessica Fletcher did back in the 80s. This kind of sounds like Monk, too, where they're relying on this. Isn't he like a psychic or something? So Psych is the one with the psychic. Monk oh, psych is just the has psychic. OCD. Okay. Interesting. There's a lot of procedurals out there, but these two specifically where they take an author of crime novels and have them solve crimes, very specific. I thought they were very comparable. I personally enjoy Murder, She Wrote more. Interesting. I mean, because you brought up a good point. Nostalgia obviously plays a huge part into this because, you know, we want to find out. Part of this is we want to find out are some of these shows that we enjoyed as kids – are they still as enjoyable as adults? And it sounds like maybe Murder, She Wrote is. Yes. And That's so exciting. Even when compared to Castle, Nathan Fillion is famous in my eyes for being on Firefly, where he has a lot of dramatic kind of will-they-won't-they they tension in his relationship on there. And they bring that to Castle, where the main storyline here is is the main detective that he's shadowing. They have a will-they-won't-they relationship, and that drives a lot of the dramatic tension as opposed to just coming up with some creative crimes and letting just natural charisma take its course. I love that, like, 
little old lady Angela Lansbury has more <laughs> charisma than like the man Nathan Fillion in in this specific role for me. Um, also, sometimes I mentioned before that new TV, every single one wants to have this like one big case that they're solving or this season long thing that everything is leading to this kind of thing. That kind of is a detriment here on Castle. Anytime mm. they try to bring up something and, and kind of have an an overarching concept go for an entire season, it kind of falls flat. Whereas Murder, She Wrote was just a very traditional, this week there's a new murder and she's going to solve it, and let's get on to the new one next week. It's interesting that you described Angela Lansbury back in the 80s as this sweet little old lady Considering she's still alive and in her 90s, which many people would say that's when you start calling her a sweet old lady. She's probably in her, what, 50s back then? Maybe thir- uh, 60s? Man, she's still around. Doing great work. Who knows? Maybe she still has a few uh, murders left to solve. We'll see. Dame Angela Lansbury. Last time I saw her was in Mary Poppins Returns. Yes. Right, as the little balloon lady. Oh, what a great moment in that movie. Well, when we return, we're going to be sharing with you some of our honorable mentions of older TV shows and maybe some new TV shows that either have held up over the years or that will for many years to come. Now, wait a minute. That seemed like two or three different theme songs. This last one just kind of sounds like the Iron Man theme from a Marvel movie, (gasps) but it's not. These are two different themes. One, just like I started the last segment with a very 60s sounding theme, the theme to MacGyver is about as 80s as I could imagine. Mm. But when they rebooted it in 2016, they gave him a fresh, new, dark, brooding theme song. Yeah. I just prefer the old one better. Of course. I mean, I forgot to mention this, but I still to this day can sing the theme song from Doogie Howser. You know, just played on this keyboard like... Did you have that one or something? Looked like you were ready to play it. Oh, no. I was just recording it so that I could play that later. Just oh, for my own amusement. blackmail. Yeah. Okay. Um, So we didn't have time, obviously, to get to every one of our favorite TV shows that we feel still kind of holds up. But just to recap, we had Erie, Indiana going up against Stranger Things, the older show versus the newer show. And just because of the fact that Stranger Things is event television, I had to give the edge to Stranger Things. And then I also gave the edge to a newer show, Timeless, over the classic and should-be must-watch for any sci-fi fan, The Time Tunnel. However, when we shared a couple of other genres, in my case, the young doctor subgenre of the very, uh, very populated medical drama... I actually chose the older series, Doogie Howser, M.D., as opposed to The Good Doctor, which is still airing. 
And when it comes to authors solving crimes on TV, I also liked the older entry, Murder, She Wrote, over Castle. Those seem like pretty much remakes, but we stayed away from true remakes in that first segment to put them up against each other. Now we do want to mention some other remakes, because it seems like every week television is going back to the old well of, well, it worked in the 80s, let's do it now too. Sure. So I want to go back to a very important part of my childhood where I had to find a TV to watch SNCC because I could not miss an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark on Nickelodeon. Hmm. And this is back when we had two TVs and, gosh, if I wasn't able to record something – I and I wasn't able to watch it live on television. I would even go as far as to try to go over to a friend's house so I could watch this show. It's definitely not a new idea. It's it's a scary anthology and we've had we had had plenty of those up until that point and it seems like we have even more now because that's the thing to do again is bring back this an- anthology. At the time it just seemed like a kids remake of Tales from the Crypt. Right. And speaking of kids remakes, I actually want to suggest something that I've mentioned before on the program, which is basically If you had to make a kid's version of Black Mirror, you would get Creeped Out, which is also on Netflix. Black Mirror is in no way, shape, or form appropriate for kids. Oh, no. Um, And I don't even feel like as an adult I should be watching it. Um, It's the technology take on The Twilight Zone. Right. Creeped Out is more geared toward slightly older kids, probably in the 10 to 12 range. But here's the thing. I actually enjoyed it so much. I've probably seen about half a dozen episodes, and I wasn't necessarily being paid to watch it. I was watching it alone, which means you know that I liked it. (laughs) So it's one to check out, and I, I feel like it could still hold up many years later. You mentioned SNCC. When I was... Um, in high school in 2007, I got a Facebook for the first time, and one of the first pages that I liked was Nickelodeon. Because yes. of course I did. And so even looking on Facebook nowadays, I'm constantly reminded that they are remaking all that with Keenan and Kel and some other people coming back for yes, some episodes. That's happening like any day, isn't it? We will see how that turns out. I have not watched it yet. Not sure if it has come out yet. Mm. But like I said, there are plenty of remakes. The MacGyver remake, I don't think measures up. The Hawaii Five O remake, I think, is slightly better. Okay. There are there is gonna be surprising. a Miami Vice remake. Oh there boy. are tons of remakes happening. But one of my favorites comes back to my favorite genre, and that's science fiction. Hmm. I mentioned that in the sixties the time tunnel was very, you know, cutting edge, but the 60s television series that actually stuck was Star Trek. And ah. if you want to compare Star Trek to some of its newer versions, they haven't remade it, but they have been using the same universe over and over again. There was The Next Generation in the late 80s, and then there were two more into the mid-90s. One launched UPN, and that was Star Trek Voyager and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Wait a minute. What about Star Trek SG-1 and Star Trek Atlantis? That was Stargate, Jeffrey. Darn it. But I have loved each one of the Star Treks. More recently, there was then Star Trek Enterprise. Star Trek Discovery came next onto CBS All Access. And talking about remakes, they're bringing Sir Patrick Stewart back for (gasps) Star Trek 
Picard, also Ooh. on CBS All Access soon. Makes me hungry. I kind of want a piece of Picard pie. Of all the different Star Trek iterations, though, my personal favorite is Star Trek Voyager, which takes the starship Voyager and sticks it in a place where no man had gone before, the Delta Quadrant, far away from any of the Starfleet comforts or other things that Star Trek normally interacts with, gets them into new races and new people to discover, all while having a an overarching arc trying to come home. Okay. Isn't didn't they make a song about that in the seventies? Come along and ride on this fantastic Voyager. No, no. Well, uh, I have not checked out any Star Trek show more than any Star Trek show. I have probably seen uh, my cousin's Universal Studios Star Trek video the most. So this is him getting to be one of the characters throwing a rocket like a – not a crouton but a krypton. What are those guys called? A Klingon. Klingon. And uh, him It has like a whole language. Celebrating. And I still remember what he says. Neutrone, bimbo, ja. That's probably Klingon for something. Jeff. Yeah. And I don't think you pronounced it correctly. Neutrone, bimbo, ja. I Cole, my memory is is flawless when it comes to stuff like this. And seeing my cousin beat up a Klingon, that was so cool. Uh I've seen that more than I've seen any of Star Trek. I have seen, I think, every episode of every Star Trek until Discovery, which I didn't get CBS All Access to watch. Well, another show that I still feel kind of holds up after all these years is a police show. And it does have police in the title. In fact, it's called Police Squad! Exclamation point. This is the show that was way ahead of its time. That was a spoof television show, something that really wasn't done a whole lot of back then. And so it was canceled after only six episodes, starring the wonderful, incomparable Leslie Nielsen, where they ended every episode. You know how every show used to end with, like, the... the uh, the picture freezing and then the credits scrolling down. Freeze frame, yeah. Yeah, the freeze frame. Instead of doing a freeze frame, they would just have the actors freeze in place while the credits were scrolling. And you could look and see how they were slightly moving. Or the the police in the station would freeze and, like, the criminal in the station would kind of look around like, what's going on? And then he would use that opportunity to escape from the precinct. Very funny show. Obviously, we got, it spawned three movies, uh, The Naked Gun, The Naked Gun Two and a Half, and The Naked Gun 33 and a Third. That freeze frame concept was used again by Geico when they made their five-second ads. That's true. That you could skip, but they got the whole ad in that first five seconds, and then everyone just kind of froze (laughs) <laughs> for the rest of it. And they it's got me to gag. watch the whole ad. It's a, It was a good gag back in the 80s, and it's still a good gag today. I think if we've learned anything today, and especially from talking about Oklahoma, the musical, and our beginning talking about the news and the Tonys, we've talked about airplane a lot. If you put an exclamation mark at the end of something, you've made it better. Absolutely. Well, I think we've proven that there is still some life left in those older TV shows, enough so that... We ought to go back and and rediscover them because Murder, She Wrote was a great show, as was Doogie Howser, M.D. I never thought I would hear myself say that. But it's true. It's proven. And you can't argue with science, especially not here. Or science fiction. On Screen Cleaning. 
Speaking of old TV shows... I was thinking the same thing, Jeff. <laughs> We've been playing something from the 60s and the 80s, and this sounds right out of the 80s for an entertainment show like ours. Absolutely. You know, like everybody kind of shrugging and like, you know, just imagine a catchphrase like... Who broke this? And then some cool guy throws a football and then looks at the camera like, oh. Yeah, yeah, a very knowing nod. Oh, man, good times. Anyway. This is actually the theme for our summer movie scoreboard this summer on screen cleaning. Yes, and Cole, I got to say, I'm not saying this doesn't doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the quality of the movies that are coming out this summer, but I got to say this is turning out to be kind of a disappointing summer. Well, it's certainly a surprising sign. It's disappointing for us that made (laughs) predictions and we're hoping for certain things to happen that have very much not been happening. Only one of my pictures is doing what it's supposed to be doing, and that is Aladdin, which is currently still at number one for the summer. But even you weren't that high on Aladdin. Well, yeah, I think I I predicted it would end up something uh, like 250 million or something and it's already at what it's 240? At 240 as of today yeah and more to come this weekend i'm sure hmm. even when godzilla came out my favorite stat from the summer so far is that godzilla was the number one movie at the box office on the friday which includes the thursday showings also that it came out and then immediately by saturday and sunday aladdin was the top grosser again Like, normally we see big-budget movies drop off in their second week or third week. Godzilla was already dropping off at the box office by its second day. Well, the number two movie has been uh, very quietly sneaking up on all these other movies and just killing them. Just Just like John Wick does in John Wick 3 Parabellum. And just like he did to us because... You know, he it's like he woke us in our sleep and, you know, started strangling us because neither of us even had John Wick 3 on our top 10. If we had known that this was going to be <sighs> the summer of Keanu Reeves, maybe I would have believed a little bit more. And Cole is making reference to the keanu that is going on right now. He's in uh, John Wick 3 Parabellum. He will also be appearing in Toy Story 4. Not Which appearing, Jeff but... will review next week. Right. You and will hear his voice. He had a, a cameo playing Keanu Reeves, as I mentioned earlier, in Always Be Your Maybe. So it is the, the summer of Keanu Reeves. But rounding off the top five, we've got uh, close behind John Wick 3, we've got Detective Pikachu. The Pokemon movie sitting just $2 million behind, but... John Wick is gaining faster than Pokemon at this oh, point, yeah. so it has passed Pokemon. And then what do we have for number four and number five, Cole? Right now, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, still sits at four. I think that right now is very key because that, million. that will change and very then, quickly. Then, then, after all of that, we get to do the two new releases from last week. The biggest disappointment of the summer, I think, is going to come in the form of Secret Life of Pets 2. Because, $59 million after a full uh, week at the box office. The, the original made like $360 million, and this one is totally underperforming. I may have to go see this movie. As, as, as much as I really don't want to, Cole, I may have to take my entire family to see this just to beef up the numbers 
a very, very little. That bit. extra thirty bucks is really <laughs> going to go towards an extra three hundred million that it isn't making right now. And Ugh. then last week, I said anecdotally that I thought that Dark Phoenix might not do well because there weren't a lot of people in my theater. And my favorite prediction of my own is coming true. Dark Phoenix is number seven with only thirty nine million. It couldn't even get past Rocket Man. Wow. Wow, Rocket Man is going to beat Dark Phoenix. Which I predicted. I didn't realize that they would both be so down low, but I we may be this may be even by the time this is all said and done and the dust settles because uh, neither of us is doing quite well. I'm so glad we made these predictions. It kind of gives us a rooting interest in these movies that otherwise could just pass us by during the summer. Yeah. Well, here's hoping that uh, Men in Black International can crack the top 10 because I think I have that at like number seven or eight on mine. We both were right in that ballpark. I said seven. You said the eighth best movie of the summer. Okay. Well, uh, I've done my part by seeing it. So, Cole, now you need to go see it. Okay. I mean, it would be in your best interest to go see it. I guess so. Okay. Well, as we are wont to do with each and every episode of Screen Cleaning, we have to do a little panning for good. There's good in them dire hills. We've been talking about old television versus new television on the program today, and so I want to give a shout-out to the television channel that gave me the most of my exposure to these old shows. Now, of course, there was TV Land, and Nick at Night would also transform my normal Nickelodeon love into a bunch of old shows as well. But there's a free broadcast channel called MeTV that goes mm-hmm. along with all of those other big networks like ABC, NBC, Fox, and CBS. If you're getting your free TV, MeTV is normally there too, and they are just constantly playing all of these old syndicated television shows from the 60s and 70s. Wow. Are, are there any of those shows that are kind of lost that never get released on dvd that you might see on me tv possibly yeah likely and a lot of the shows i wouldn't even know existed if i hadn't been watching this channel growing up it's where i got my first exposure to bewitched and hogan's heroes and and i dream of genie and a lot of these shows from the 60s wow and it's better than anything free free i'll have to check it out me tv I just need to check out older TV in general. It's I guess. probably one of those channels. And the reason I want to give it the shout out is that when you have free television, when you have just the broadcast networks, you go up on your remote. And once you get to kind of whatever the top number for you is, back home, ABC was channel 23. Once you get past that on cable, it starts turning into your normal cable programs. Somewhere down there in the middle, though, you probably skipped over MeTV because it was just playing something black and white. Next time when you're scrolling through channels, Take a stop and watch an episode. Old TV can be fun, too. Well, I know what I'm doing with my weekend, Cole. That's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. You can find each and every episode on BYURadio.org or really wherever podcasts are found. Check us out. We're here each and every week to give you the very best in entertainment and shine a spotlight on all that is good in entertainment.